uh, we thank you for that. Um, but we are in Exodus chapter 19, and we'll read it in its entirety. This is the second book of the Bible, and we're coming into chapter 19 because as a church family, we've taken a little bit of a break from Exodus throughout the summer, uh, but we started in chapter one all the way up until chapter uh, 18, and now we're picking it back up in Exodus chapter 19. Uh, so we'll do a little bit of summary of where we were uh, as we then consider where we're headed. Exodus 19, on the third new moon after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. And they set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai and they encamped in the wilderness. And there Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. And the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. And so Moses came and called to the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down in Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around saying, take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot, whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, Be ready for the third day, and do not go near a woman. And on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln. The whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke. And God answered him in thunder. And the Lord came down in Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord, to look, and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up, for you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, Go down and come up, bringing Aaron with you. Do not let the priests and the people break through to you to the camp, lest he break out against them. And so Moses went down to the people and told them. And that's where we'll conclude our reading. It's all, it's sort of a, a tough place to stop. If you're reading at home, this is like not where you want to stop. You're like, what's coming? <laughs> uh, this is building up to something, and it is the building up to uh, the giving of the law to the people of Israel, the giving of the Ten Commandments to them. 
which we're going to spend then the next uh, several weeks throughout the fall looking at each of those commandments and why God gave them. But to recap sort of where we were, especially if you're just joining us more recently and so you weren't with us as we went through the beginning part of Exodus, uh, the the first thing to highlight in this chapter is part of what is being addressed is the danger of human authority. The danger of human authority. Just previously in chapter 18, Moses was leading all of the people and they were looking to him because they had been slaves in Egypt and now they had been set free and they're traveling and everybody was looking to one person as their primary authority. And that one person was a very sincere person, Moses. He was himself someone who knew he wasn't a gifted communicator. He had a back and forth with God to say, I don't think I should do this. Like he was not a power hungry, just ready to control other people sort of a guy. He himself knew he had his limitations, but he was the person God had placed in a position of authority. And so, so many people were coming to him and right before the children of Israel come now to Mount Sinai, Moses meets his father-in-law and gets reconnected with his wife and kids because he had sent them ahead for a period of time. And his father-in-law, Jethro, is asking Moses about how things are going, and he comes to this conclusion that this is not healthy. This is not good for Moses, even though he's sincere, even though he's been ordained by God that he should be in this position like he can just observe and say, if you keep going the way you're going, you are gonna burn out of this. You cannot possibly as one person handle the weight of everybody's problems. There's no one person who can do that. And so what Jethro advises Moses to do is to break down the nation into smaller groups and to raise up lots of people in authority so that many people can share authority and handle disputes and only when at that level everybody's saying we have no idea what to do with this situation this has to go a whole nother this is above my pay grade as it keeps moving up then Moses would be the person to deal with sort of the very unique and the special cases but part of what Jethro was advising against was this danger of human authority there's always risk when one person has too much power, which if you would have interviewed any of the Israelites, they all would have said, oh, of course that's true with like Pharaoh. Yeah, he had so much authority, he enslaved them for decades and centuries and took advantage of them. That's true. And so Pharaoh was a bad guy. He did a lot of wicked things. But if all of their concerns around authority were only about Pharaoh, uh, that would have not been fully what they should have been paying attention to. Yes, we need to be careful when authority is wicked, like Pharaoh, and it can enslave a whole bunch of people and cause their harm, but we also need to be careful of the danger of authority, even when it comes to people that we would say are like us or are on our team or we think have the best of our intentions at heart because no one person can bear the weight of dealing with everybody's problems. And so as, this, uh, as they now come to this mountain and Moses is still in charge, that's just one of the things that are on their mind. That as God is now setting them free and giving them this gift to build a new community, he doesn't want them to fall back into what they had just, just previously escaped from. 
where human authority was abused. And so there's a danger in it. The second thing, though, is a reminder of God's provision. This is how the, the first 18 verses are sort of summarized poetically here by God himself. God says to Moses, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. So here in this initial warning of the dangers that surround human authority is a reminder of God's provision. And God's saying, it's, I'm the one who bore you up on eagles' wings. I'm the one who brought you out. Physically, you're seeing Moses. You're seeing Aaron. You're seeing these now other people who have different levels of responsibility. But behind all of them, don't neglect or forget the reality that it is ultimately God who saves. It's ultimately God who redeems. It's ultimately God who leads us. Every other authority is under the authority of God. And he has provided for them provided for them in food and in clothing uh, along the way as they're transitioning from one place to another. They're out in the wilderness. They're in the desert. Like they have needs to be met. And God is reminding them that he has already provided for them. And they need to know that. Before he gives them his law, which is then uh, for them a way that they're supposed to live, he's reminding them he's already saved them and rescued them. In other words, God doesn't come and give them the Ten Commandments while they're still slaves in Egypt and says, okay, here's these ten rules, and if you do all these rules, then I'll save you. So if you just be good enough, then I promise I'll provide for you. That isn't how it worked. He saw their suffering. He saw their pain. He saved them and cared for them because he loves them. And so now he is going to give them laws and ways of living because that is also an expression of his love for them. But he has already provided for them. He has already cared and uh, taken care of their needs. And that's something uh, that we need to remember. Uh, we said it even in the last series as we were in Ephesians talking about the new life and what that's supposed to look like in us that Paul gives that description of the new life after He's explained God's grace and the gift of salvation that we've all received and then tells us about how we're supposed to live. But we can always flip those things and think that whenever we're reading in the Bible about the laws we're supposed to do or the things God wants, that those are all the things we have to do to earn God's favor or earn his protection or earn his provision. And from the Old to the New Testament, uh, the answer to that is no, that's not how it works. God provides for us and protects us and watches over us because of who he is, not because of who we are. Because he loves us and cares for us, he meets our needs. But then this next thing that we read about is an invitation to human responsibility. So if, if we only thought about the danger of human authority, one of the ways to then sort of deal with that danger is to say, well, no one should have authority, which is just not how the world works. And it's not even how God designed the world to work. There is a good and right authority. And we have to learn how to handle authority well 
in this world. And that starts with having a sense of authority and personal responsibility over our own lives. So after he tells them, I bore you on eagle's wings and I brought you to myself, he says, now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples for all the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So this is what God desires for the children, that they would be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And so that's an invitation to them to a proper authority, to handle their affairs as a country, not just as individuals, but as a group of people, that their laws would be righteous, that their way of administering justice would be fair and equitable, and that therefore they, they can't just say, oh no, danger, danger, uh, so we don't want any responsibility. It's, yes, there's a million dangers in it, but you therefore have to learn how to handle it. You have to learn how to steward it. You can't just run from it. There are a million dangers in parenting, and uh, sometimes you can feel, for those of you who have little ones like myself, the stress of, I feel like I'm learning as I go, which is you know, usually what they don't advise. You know, don't build the plane while you're flying it, right? Like that's a, but there's not this automatic, you know everything, and then you get this responsibility. Like you're learning while doing all along the way. But there can be times where if you think, I just don't know what the right thing to do is, so I should do nothing, is, uh, is the wrong response. <laughs> doing nothing, neglecting your responsibility as a parent will have its own consequences and really profound consequences. And so if we've been given that responsibility, we have to be aware of the dangers and we also have to be open to learning what it means to take that responsibility seriously. Though we're not perfect, though we need accountability from other people to help avoid the dangers, we're not supposed to run from the responsibilities that God has given us. And if you think that's just sort of an Old Testament thing and you're like, man, I can't wait till we get back to the New Testament, I invite you to take a Bible and to open it to 1 Peter chapter 2. The book that we're having all of our small groups go through this fall works through this letter of 1 Peter. And it's called Evangelism as Exiles. And here you'll see that Peter quotes from this very same part of Exodus in now talking about what is the responsibility of us as the redeemed people of God in the church of Jesus Christ. So 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 9. This should sound familiar. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So here he is in the New Testament, knowing who Jesus is, knowing that he died and rose again to give all of us the gift of eternal life. And he's now writing to a group of believers in the first century. He says, do you know what our job is? It's what their job was. God's desire for his redeemed people 
is to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Not just holy individuals, not just a single priest, but a kingdom of them, a group of them. Well, what, what do we do with that? Because through that, we proclaim the excellencies of Kim who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. You know, it's often said if you, if you don't want to sort of disrupt uh, relationships with your neighbor or at Thanksgiving with your family, like God and politics are like the two things you're usually supposed to leave out, which, believe me, many people need to heed that wisdom. But there is also a way in which we say you, you can't ever avoid those two topics. Almost everything is about God and politics. And you have to have an informed view of who God is and what you think makes a holy nation. What does it look like for a group of people to surrender to God's will and to seek to make the light known in the midst of the darkness? I can't give you the answer for what all of that means, but I can encourage you that as a someone called to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, you're called to use your heart, soul, and mind to consider what it means to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And back in Exodus, Moses is leading this group of people. They're increasingly aware of the dangers of human authority. They're being reminded that God loves them and he's gracious to them. And now they're all being brought to the base of this mountain so that almost all of them get a glimpse of what Moses got when he was called in the burning bush to go back to Egypt. Like they are now getting an encounter with God. Not directly, as directly as Moses did, but they are being brought not only to receive words, but to see where those words come from. And so, as it's described, I mean, it's amazing. On the third day, thunders and lightnings, a thick cloud on the mountain, a very loud trumpet blast, all the people in the camp trembled. And then Moses brought out the people out of the camp to meet God. There was enough happening that they themselves were like, I'm not getting any closer. <laughs> and so part of uh, what's being described here is that uh, if we're gonna accept this invitation to human responsibility, the foundation of it is God's holiness. As we take seriously what it means to bear the responsibility and the authority we have been given we're supposed to do that in the humble awareness of God's holiness that he is other he is different he is almighty he is all good we are not and so in all of our discussions about if you think we should do this or we should do that there should be a collective humility on our parts to say we are not God. There is only one God. And if we don't have a proper respect for that one God, we won't find healthy ways to figure out the differences we have with one another to construct a meaningful society to live in. We need to have that proper respect. There's other phenomena like that in the world that we have that sense of. Uh, we were on a, a hike by the gorge um, where there's still one of the last dams in the Cuyahoga River uh, that's going to be taken out to restore the natural 
river, but it's a 60 foot tall sort of come down and we got out to a viewing point where you're pretty close to it. And there again, like, okay, we're getting close to what is like a sort of a man-made waterfall. And then eventually there's rapids below it. And just the closer you get, like the closer I'm like trying to reach for my kids. Like, um, okay, this is cool. And so I want you to see it, but I need you to be really careful <laughs> because part of our ability to enjoy this is that we take this seriously. And we don't have a lot of good swimmers, so we take water seriously. Uh, there's all kinds of things like this around us in the world that are beautiful and they're glorious, but we have to pay attention to the differences they are. Or I've used the illustration before, you know, I love uh, taking our family to the zoo, uh, but it would be a totally different uh, experience if we went there and the gates were open, right? You'd say, ah, can we leave? Um, I don't want to be here anymore. Part of our ability to get close to tigers and to get close to creatures and snakes and all kinds of other things is the seriousness of what they are and how we need to pay attention to them. And we can only enjoy them and learn about them in the ways that we can when there's first an honor and a due respect that's given. And that's what scripture says about our way of life. If we're going to figure out healthy ways to live and to love other people, it's going to begin, this is the book of Proverbs, that the, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. A, pri- a right and proper respect for God under which our lives are supposed to be lived. Again, not in a, a fear, and that's why part of what God has reminded them poetically of is, I've carried you on eagle's wings. Like, I've loved you and brought you all the way to this point. So he doesn't want them just to be afraid of him, but they have to respect him so that then when he gives his law for them, they realize there is a foundation to this law that is rooted in a person who loves them. So that disobedience to the law is not just breaking a rule, it's a betrayal of a relationship. That's why the law matters. And uh, some, even for us Christians, we can have this mindset that because we know that salvation comes through grace and it's not because of all the laws we obey, we can then almost have a a position of sort of being anti-law and not want to have any conversations about the proper use of them. But here again, we see if we know who God is and that the same God who saved us because of his unconditional love for us is the same God who's now giving us rules, laws, principles. Our loving response should be, what do you have to say? How would you tell me to live this life now? How do I interact with people that just totally disagree with me? How do I interact with people who are, I even think, unjust and making wrong rules. I mean, Peter knew that. If you just read a few more verses in what we read in 1 Peter, Peter's actually presuming that the laws of the land will not reflect the laws that the church would commit themselves to. And so he's writing a whole letter trying to help them have wisdom for how do you live out being a holy nation if you're surrounded by a lot of unholiness? This is what we need. This is why we study our Bibles. This is why we gather. This is why we talk with other Christians and learn from other Christians and their experiences because we all need this because God cares not just about what we do here. He cares about what we do here, but he cares about what we do everywhere. 
And there's a way in which we can honor him and worship him and shine the light in the darkness in everything we do, in every place we go. And so for the remainder of the fall, we're then going to look through each of these commandments. Again, not as the things we have to do in order for him to love us, but because he loves us, his wisdom for you and for me, for what it means to care and accept the responsibility we've been given for ourselves and the responsibility that we've been given for each other. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we confess, uh, just like the children of Israel needed an encounter with you and your grandeur and your holiness, uh, that sometimes our thoughts of you can be small and truncated and we need to be reminded of just how great you are. And that at times when we can uh, tune out or uh, turn off as we are encountered on a regular basis with difficulties in our day and retreat from them, that you are actually calling us to live our lives in public, in openness, with transparency with others, uh, being a light in a dark place, being willing to maintain trust with others, being willing to serve and sacrifice for the needs of others. And so we confess we need wisdom for how to do that. Uh, Father, help us to receive it, not as a a burden uh, that we can't accomplish, but as an invitation that you are giving to us, that you can handle all of our mistakes, all of our fumblings, um, and you can help us over time grow in how we do things. But Lord, would you make us uh, better citizens of where we live, better neighbors, better community members, better workers, uh, by your grace, Uh, so that we can point people to the reality of how great and glorious you are. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.